Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message is taken from our gospel reading from the first chapter of St. Mark with an emphasis on these words. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. The subject of demonic affliction or possession in the Bible is one that likely conjures up some very specific or even visceral images in many people's minds. Because of pop culture depictions like, say, The Exorcist or countless other scary movies or TV shows, often we cannot help but think of demonic imagery in the vein of some innocent young woman, her mascara running down her face, her body contorting into unnatural positions as she spits pea soup into the face of some terrified priest while he cries out, the power of Christ compels you. Say the word demon, and the very first thing that comes to mind is probably less scripture and more Hollywood. But as such, many Christians, even those of a more orthodox persuasion, tend to relegate demons and things like them into the category of mere superstition. We think about demons as an old world explanation to interpret the psychosomatic symptoms of those as of yet undefined mental illnesses. Those things which nowadays, of course, the modern world treats not with prayer, but with medication and counseling. But today, as we read from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, we see no superstition, no fiction, but a very real account of Jesus encountering a man who was suffering under demonic possession. Or as St. Mark puts it in his translation, an unclean spirit. Now, the intriguing thing about this specific terminology, unclean spirit, is that you'll notice there is no real description of any physical manifestation of the affliction that this man is suffering with. Elsewhere in the scriptures, when we hear about Jesus or perhaps the prophets or even the apostles uh, engaging with demons, we tend to hear about that frightening imagery. We hear descriptions of supernatural strength, of muteness, epileptic fits, blindness, psychic phenomena, aggression, self-harm, and compulsions towards extreme acts of wickedness. But we don't hear about any of that today, this morning. Mark's description of the de demoniac at the beginning of his gospel, it almost sounds kind of mundane by comparison. The man does not announce himself by speaking in tongues, nor, for that matter, does he spit any pea soup. But instead, he makes himself known by interrupting Jesus in the middle of his teaching during a Sabbath service in a synagogue at Capernaum. Now, before we come to the meat of this encounter, it's important that we set the stage given how brisk the beginning of Mark's gospel is. In just 20 short verses, St. Mark covers everything from the prophetic prediction of Jesus as the Messiah to the ministry of John the Baptist, the appearance, baptism, and temptation of Jesus, and then finally, from last week, the calling of the first disciples. Settling into the beginning of Jesus' actual 
ministry in the aforementioned synagogue of Capernaum, we are introduced to something kind of unique about Jesus, the novel modus of his teaching, namely that Jesus distinguishes himself in his early ministry from other scholars or rabbis, and he does so by teaching in what the scholars of the Bible call an ex-cathedra manner. That means Jesus is not interpreting or innovating on the commentary of those rabbis who came before him. Instead, Jesus is able to reveal the divine truths of God's kingdom wholly as an authority unto himself. He is able to say new things and speak new parts of the Holy Scriptures. Let me explain a little further. If any of you have ever read a newspaper or magazine article or a biblical commentary, then you might have noticed phrases like, it is written in, or according to Exodus chapter what have you, employed as a method of citation. Doing so, quoting from the Holy Scriptures, it, leads ver it lends veracity to the author's interpretation of the written material. But you'll notice when Jesus opens his mouth to speak, he does not do this. In fact, the only times that we see Jesus employ these phrases are either when he's demonstrating the misunderstanding of one of his opponents or when he himself is adding to or bringing to completion some portion of the old Hebrew canon. It is written, you have heard that it was said of old, but now I say to you. That's how Jesus teaches. And because Jesus is God, one of the ways that he reveals himself to be God is speaking the very word of God in a manner that was never heard before in all of Israel's history. For when Jesus opens his mouth to speak, he does so announcing himself as the arrival of God's kingdom. He shows himself to be God's long-promised salvation through acts of power and mercy and sacrifice. That is how Jesus reveals himself to his people. St. Mark records that whatever it was that Jesus said or did that day in Capernaum, his words were having the desired effect. He left the crowds astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who has authority, not as the scribes. By his words, the word made flesh was now stirring in the hearts of those who heard him speak so that they were beginning to believe that his teaching was something new or different or special. And it's precisely at this moment where the word begins to take root in the hearts of the hearers that we hear that other voice, something different which cries out from among the congregation clamoring for the people's attention. This voice, well, here again from St. Mark, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So friends, now that we're back where we started... Let's actually take a good, hard look at this man who interrupted the Sabbath service. Once again, you'll note that Mark, in his description, eschews any kind of physical analysis of the man. 
as far as we can tell from this passage, there's really nothing physically unusual about him as he comes to disrupt service. No convulsions, no violence, and yes, no pea soup. In fact, as far as we know, he could have been anybody. And in fact, I believe this to be precisely the point when he calls out to Jesus, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us, plural? Us who? Well, certainly the demonic forces of Satan and of hell would have everything to fear from the Jewish Messiah who is forecasted all the way back in Genesis 3 to be the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. But to identify himself this way, the the demon would have been siding himself with the, the legions of demons and the devil, and he would have really only made the people in the synagogue flee to Jesus for protection. Now, I I think there was something more deceitful, something craftier in his words. I know who you are, says the demon. You are the Holy One of God. In other words, what would bring you, Jesus, down from the heavenly host to slum it this morning with the riffraff of Capernaum? What possible designs would compel one so holy as you to sit and eat in the company of sinners? Perhaps, well, maybe it's for judgment that you reveal yourself to us. Have you come, Jesus of Nazareth, to smite all of those whose faith is lacking and whose works are unpleasing? Well, if so, we ought to drive you out in terror. So you see that by duplicity, the unclean spirit aimed to twist Jesus' words and replace that kernel of faith which was beginning to take root in the hearts of the people with fear and doubt. Now, when you hear it put to you this way, perhaps we're a little bit underwhelmed by how mundane the demon's argument seems. After all, there's no scary or dramatic imagery. What happens in the synagogue at Capernaum is just an ordinary man talking over God's word with lies and deceit. Does that maybe sound a little too familiar? Think of this. How often have you in your personal lives read or heard God's word spoken to you and subbed out those parts that were challenging or indicting with a little bit of worldly wisdom? Maybe under the lens of God's law, as it points the finger at you like the unclean spirit, you point that finger directly back at God and you accuse him as though He were the problem for making all these commands that you just can't seem to keep. When we do this, we take God's word and we twist it and we make it to say something that it does not say. And so you see that this kind of demonic activity is terrifying indeed precisely because of how ordinary and mundane it really is. For as many of us as were born into sin have also been demonically afflicted. No, I don't mean to say that we've been somehow possessed by a malevolent spirit or been in the throes of some creature robbing us of our agency and making us do unspeakable things. Quite the contrary, the wickedness that we do, most often we choose for ourselves. Those afflicting voices are just that. That. 
voices. They whisper their sweet nothings into our ears and into our hearts, and they invite us to supplant the authoritative, life-giving word of God with vain actions of self-gratification. And here's the really scary part. A lot of times, we take the bait. We ignore God's call to repent and to believe in him, and instead we chase after any number of other voices that would lead us headlong into death and damnation. This was the affliction of the Capernaum demoniac. This is the kind of demonic affliction that is common to you and me. But there is good news in this gospel text. Jesus does not leave this man to his suffering. Here again from Mark's gospel, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of the man. And all were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Here at the climax of this dramatic scene, we see the authority of God's word in action. Jesus doesn't just have the authority to teach and preach in a new or novel way. He also has the authority as true God to heal and to make whole. He even commands those demonic forces. And because they are held captive under God's power, they must listen to him. The word in action today has the power to remove the stain of sin from us. It has the power to overcome the the authority and the temptations of this fallen world. And friends, it is that very same word that speaks new life into us when once we were afflicted, when once we were destined only for death in the grave. That word of God which restored the Capernaum demoniac was also spoken over you in the waters of baptism. And from that point onward, you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have been possessed. No, not by demons, not by devils or their ilk, For these powers have been rendered powerless against him to whom you now belong. With water and the word, your God has made you his own treasured possession. Your God has called you out of sin and death, and he has made you a member of his house and an heir of his kingdom. Therefore, no one else can ever lay claim on you so long as you belong to him. No power of the devil, the world, or even your own sinful flesh can say they are mine when Christ has called you his. So now, on this most blessed Sabbath day, hear again Jesus' word of authority. Hear his voice which renders you forgiven by virtue of his blood shed for you on Calvary's cross. Take heed and do not deny his word of law as he calls you to repent of those wicked words and deeds which once drew you away from him. Rejoice in his gospel word of salvation, the proclamation of the resurrection and life, which are yours forever. 
This day, the power of Christ compels you by his holy scriptures, by his blessed absolution, by his sacraments, to live a new life, a life possessed by the Holy Spirit, a life of righteousness and innocence and blessedness. In this new life, cling to this word and this word alone, for it is by this word that you have been saved. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.